Welcome to Mama's Roots Are Showing podcast, where we recognize that we get one motherhood. If you'd rather not wing it, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Nicolette, and I love researching all things motherhood related and then sharing what I discover to help moms feel empowered, intentional, and joyful. If finding yourself in motherhood sounds better than losing yourself in motherhood, I invite you to join me as we explore the nooks and crannies of this once-in-a-lifetime journey. In this episode, I interview Jody Maccabee, a homeschooling mama of five, about her new book, The Whole and Healthy Family, which helps families create a family culture where everyone can flourish. Jody shares so much wisdom in our interview, and I can tell you that my copy of her book is covered in highlighter and notes in the margin. My motto is that we get to do motherhood once, and I am so thankful for Jody for clearly defining how we can really achieve a fruitful family life in her book. So please check her book out and grab yourself a copy. So get comfortable, tune in, and take some time for you. I want to take a quick moment to talk to you about one of the sponsors for this show. If you're like me, you enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while, but you also want to be aware of what you're putting into your body. Unfortunately, there's a lot of deceit within the wine industry, and a bottle can have up to 76 ingredients that don't have to be on a nutrition label and still be marked as organic. Thankfully, Dry Farm Wines is solving this problem for you and for me. They source truly organic, biodynamic wines from all over the world that taste amazing and are clean. By going to dryfarmwines.com forward slash mama's roots, that's M-A-M-A-S-R-O-O-T-S, you can get an extra bottle of wine for a penny with your first subscription order. If you like reds, whites, bubbly, a mix, If you want three bottles, six bottles, 12 bottles, if you want this delivered every month, every three months, whatever your wine needs are, they have a subscription that is right for you. I can tell you that I can't drink any other wines anymore because I get headaches and I feel awful the next day. And I'm talking about just one glass of wine doing that to me. Not with Dry Farm Wines. I feel amazing the next day. I don't have any issues with them. I feel good about drinking these wines. I encourage you to drink the best and choose Dry Farm Wines for you. And know that when you order through my link, you're supporting my little family. Well, Jody, thank you so much for finding the time to come on my podcast. Um, Why don't you start with just telling us a little bit about yourself, about your family, and then tell us about how you decided to write your wonderful book, The Whole and Healthy Family. Well, hey, Nicolette. Thanks so much for having me on here. Um, I have five children. Currently, their ages are 16 down to 10. And I ended with identical twin boys. So they were a a little bit of a surprise there at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, the book idea kind of started with just years and years of parenting through what I like to call the trenches. We had five at one point, five and under. And so we had them very close together and kind of even developmentally, kind of a lot of them shared the same stages at the same time. And so working through a lot of, you know, developmental issues and needs for each of them 
and kind of trying to problem solve through all of that. Um, I would always kind of dive into research. I wanted to know like the root cause of a lot of issues, whether that was behavioral or, um, you know, developmental or physical or spiritual or emotional, whatever the issues were, I wanted as much information as I could gather um, to help me kind of equip and handle equip my children to be able to work through it, but also help me handle the situation in the best way that, you know, I could as an, an informed parent. So the book is based off of just a lot of research that I had done in those early years and implemented in our household as a result. It's basically a book of problem solving. And through the problem solving, we somehow ended up creating this family culture that Mm -hmm. Um, allowed us to kind of use any of our decision-making process to kind of measure against like what I like to call the family culture to kind of measure, to use that as like a bar to measure all these decisions that came in, you know, should we send our kids to school? Should we do sports? Should we, um, go out to dinner once a week? You know, all these little decisions that you make on the daily once we kind of had a family culture in place, we were able to kind of use that to measure these decisions against. And so that's kind of what the book is about. And through that, um, I just started noticing this, this theme of like a holistic way of parenting, um, noticing that our children are whole children with, with minds and spirits and emotions and um, that all of those parts need to be tended to in order mm-hmm. to you know, fully parent well. And so that's kind of how the book came to be. Well, it's brilliant. I have to tell you that I always approach a book, you know, not really knowing what to expect. And sometimes people like to set the stage, so to speak, and they wait to get moving. Well, I had my highlighter ready and going at the, like the very first page. It's just riddled and packed with so much information. And I love the way that you have it organized and that, yes, it is this holistic approach. I- I'm guessing that you saw a need for this type of a book because our society doesn't really seem to create family cultures. That's not really something that's very common. We might have you know, things that we're into, but having this holistic approach to it doesn't seem very common. Right. And, and I think that's what um, I would love for people to discover through the book is just that it's all interrelated. You know, um, our children need physical health as much as they need emotional health and spiritual health. And those are all interrelated. If if they're physically thriving, they're going to um, be emotionally thriving because they've physically have this healthy foundation, you know, so it's just, everything's kind of interrelated. We can't let one drop necessarily um, because then there's an imbalance in the family a little bit there. And so that was kind of my hope is that families would read it and recognize, you know, um, the need to kind of bring a little more intentionality into their family if they didn't currently practice a lot of that or to encourage them, you know, if they already were doing that. Yeah. And and like you said, that intention behind it, because I think that, you know, you talked about being in the trenches and so many people feel that, right? And when you're in the trenches, we are just sometimes in survival mode. And so we're not thinking about the big picture and this family culture that 
we are creating through our day-to-day lives. And so I love that your book gives families the opportunity to kind of step back, look at the different aspects of our family culture, and really take a deep dive into how those impact us. And I love the way that you organize the book, Jody. It's so brilliant. You have it divided into mind, body, and spirit. And then also, you know, then there's like these little subcategories in there. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you organize the book, because I think it's so helpful. It's just brilliant. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah. And I think even with the three sections, I feel like some stuff can overlap, you know, um, nature could be in mind and body. Um, simplicity could be in mind, body, and spirit. You know, there's a there's different chapters within the groups, and they they could definitely overlap. But I organized them based just off of our family and how I have seen the fruit in our family. Um, I write at the very beginning of the book that this is not a how to in any way. Um, it's just a how we. And Mm. my hope is just that, you know, you'd be able to capture a little nugget here and there and and apply it to your own family culture, not necessarily that any family is exactly alike. Um, Part of building our family culture is through observation, observing families that you admire. Um, I remember before we even had kids, my husband and I were just in the habit of observing families and taking notes and um, seeing little things that we liked in this family and little things that we liked in that family. And we adopted those into our own culture. So um, it's organized based off of our family culture and ha- and what um, how I can see some of those decisions, how they positively affect our children. So in the healthy mind section, um, I talk about communication because that's a huge thing in our family. Um, everything from conflict resolution to um, creating a healthy sexual culture within within the home, just making sure that um, sex is not a taboo topic in our household, that our kids are equipped to um, handle, you know, things from friends and um, any kind of exposure online that they're already equipped and ready and, and ready to handle that. So I talk a lot about that in the healthy mind aspect. Um, I talk about simplicity and how the environment of your home can affect you mentally and just, you know, how sometimes moms can be real frantic and they don't know what the source usually is. And I just encourage them to look in their home. And if there's a lot going on in the home, then that's likely one of the reasons why they feel frantic and stressed out all the time. So that's kind of in the mind part. The body part goes into fitness and food and exercise and um, being outdoors together as a family, doing things that are active together as a family, and how that really benefits your health. And then in the spirit aspect, I talk about being like biblically based, um, serving together. That's a big part of our family culture. And um, I go into, you know, tithing and um, prayer and just really praying for God's discernment over a lot of different decisions. So there's a lot, like you said, packed into each section and um, a lot of research that you can kind of discover on your own. It's all cited in there as well. So um, if you want to question that and, and go down that rabbit hole, there's plenty of resources there for you to do that as well. 
But in each of these little subcategories, you know, you talked about communication, conflict, simplicity, sexual culture, you you're able to provide these little nuggets that you can kind of implement immediately, right? And just as an example, I love this one. You set up emails accounts for your children when they were able to type. And I love that that really blossomed not only into developing their, you know, their language skills, vocabulary and all of that, but there's this story that you tell about how your son reached out to you via email to let you know about something that he was struggling with or a question that he had. And I thought that was so cool. I mean, we can do that tomorrow, today as moms. And then you also talk about some bigger mindset shifts or um, awareness that we need to have when you talk about using love languages, which I always applied that to my husband and I, you know, our relationship, but you talk about applying that to our children and learning and observe observing what their love languages are. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so true. That's so wise. And the yeah, communication and I, is so important. Yeah, it it is. And I hope that people learn through this. I mean, I think the overall theme is that our children are whole people. Um, you know, they are born with personalities. They are born, um, you know, as certain people that we need to get to know. It's not like their personalities grow over time. They God created them to be who they are from the beginning. And so we can, you know, intentionally look for um, little things in their personalities from young ages to just explore and discover so that we can love them well. Um, that and that's a big part. I don't I know you homeschool Nicolette. Um, Charlotte Mason is huge into um, children being whole people. She she believes the same thing that um, you know. There, it's not like they're becoming someone; they already are somebody. And mm-hmm. so, just like you said, with getting to know her husband, that does take time. But it's not like he's his personality is growing over time. He was born with that personality. So, just like our children were, it'll take time to get to know them. But they already are who they were born to be. So. Um, there's so much excitement in unwrapping that and unraveling that and figuring out, you know, how they accept love or how they give love. And, and, um, it's just a targeted approach, you know, having five kids, we have to be super efficient. <laughs> and yes. so for me, it's, like, it's, it's much easier knowing exactly what they love, what, what makes them feel loved and just to be able to like target in on that versus, you know, trying all these different things and just shooting in the dark. (laughs) Yeah. You stating that, you know, kind of, that was the moment where I put the book down and had to think for a minute on that, you know, and I did, I spent some time thinking about, I have three children and they're younger than yours, which is why I, I've admired you from afar for so long. And it's always nice to have people who are just ahead of you going down these paths so that you can, as you said, like you and your husband were doing before you even had children, kind of take notes here and there and pull from here and pull from there. And I thought that was so brilliant, um, the love languages aspect. That was really great. Um, I did want to talk to you about the mind in the mind section, and you briefly touched on this, about creating a healthy sexual culture within our family. And I think that's something that is very taboo. And I love that your book addresses that because let's be honest, our children are growing up in a world where they are being exposed to things in ways that 
you and I never had to worry about and our parents didn't have to worry about. So I just want to commend you for addressing that issue and being brave enough to talk about it, but also offering so many wonderful tips and thoughts on this. Um, I love that none of none of what you wrote in there has any shame in it, Jody. It's so beautiful. And I just was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit because I just that alone, the book is worth buying just for that. Uh, I thought it was great. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that is just my hope is that families read that and and they act on it. You know, um, like you said, it is such a different world than what we grew up in. Um, in some ways, that's good. I feel like sex is so out there now that kids cannot deny it. I mean, there's no way that they can blindly go through life without knowing about it because it's on billboards and in commercials and all of that. So in one way, that's kind of good because um, if they're equipped, if they're, if they know what it is, then at least it's not hidden um, and the shame is not built all around it. But we tend to, because we don't know how to talk about it, um, we don't talk about it in our homes. So there's this major disconnect of it being all out there in public, but then not talked about in our homes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how old you are, Nicolette, but for me, um, I, I actually grew in a pretty, grew up in an open household. So we talked about sex within our, our doors, but my friends did not. And I watched this weird, like, we didn't have all the billboards and the internet and all of that, but then they also weren't talking about it at home, but sex was still happening. <laughs> and yeah. so as a result, there was so much shame because there was no recognition of it anywhere, not in church, not in youth group, not on TV. I mean, nowhere, but it was all happening behind the scenes. And now it's like pendulum swung to where it's happening everywhere outside of our homes but then it's not being talked about inside of our homes. So mm, it's like, mm -hmm. can we bring some kind of a balance to this where we talk about it in a healthy way at our home? We can't necessarily change our culture overnight. So if we can at least equip our children to live in this culture um, in a healthy way where they, they understand God's design for sex, they understand what their family believes about sex, but um, they, they're not getting this like broken or perver perverted version of sex. And I talk about um, the principle of first mention. It's also known as the law of first mention. And it's just this idea that the first time you're exposed to something, um, it creates kind of the foundation of how you view that topic. And so if our children are exposed to pornography before they're ever talked to about sex, um, their exposure is what kind of builds their awareness of that and oftentimes pornography is not what true sex is like, you know, it's, it's usually a warped, perverted power play version of sex. And so for them to have that as their foundational understanding just is so disturbing to me. And it should be disturbing to all of us. We mm -hmm. want them to have a true understanding of, of sex's purpose um, in a marriage um, what, what our bodies were created to do. And so it's just heartbreaking to me that, that the principle of first mentioned that all of these kids are potentially being exposed to a different version of sex than what we want to give them as parents. And so it's our responsibility to beat 
um, the world to that exposure to, we need to be the ones that are the first mention in our children's lives on that subject. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so smart. And again, it's not something that I think is, it's on our radar, but it's a difficult topic to tackle. And as parents, we're juggling so many things that I feel like it gets lost in the mix. And I'm speaking, you know, on from my own personal experience, you know, my kids are seven, five, and two, you know, so I tell myself, well, I have lots of time. I have lots of time to talk about this. But, you know, there's, there's stories of people out there who they're being exposed to things at very young ages, and it could just be at a friend's house. Somebody's mm-hmm. watching something. Um, so I think you're right. We have to be very intentional with this and aware of it and not treat it um, as something that should be behind closed doors. We do need to be open and have these conversations and arm ourselves and arm our children with you know, proper knowledge about this. And I, I just think it was brilliant. And I love that you put that in there. It's definitely a book that's for the family of today, because this is a newer challenge as the internet is around and all these apps that people are on. And we need to not only for just the safety of our children, educate ourselves on this, but for their own, for their own sexual health. It's so important that there's no shame, that yeah. there's no fear. So that was brilliant, Jody. I, I really appreciated that. Well, I'm so glad. And it, you know, it's to a help preserve, you know, the, the healthy idea of sex for families, but also to protect our children. Um, you know, like sexual abuse is very common, more common than we want it to be. Um, but if your children are taught about body parts, if they're taught about um, protecting their body. Um, it's just yet another way to protect our children um, just by having a healthy sexual culture within the home. I don't know if this statistic made it into the book. I, I forget if it actually made it in. But um, we, my husband and I had to go through some major sexual abuse training to be um, in leadership in our church. And um, I'll never forget this statistic. It said 90% of perpetrators will stop you know, trying to molest a child, um, if the child just says no. And yes, that is in the book. I remember reading that. Yes. I I didn't know if it made it in, I forget, but that, that statistic alone just gives me so much hope. This is not a subject that we need to be afraid of. We should be empowered by it. Like knowing that statistic would just, to me, encourage every parent, like teach your child about their body teach them how to protect it, let them know what's sacred, you know, um, knowing that if they just have the uh, ability to just say the word no, um, the, the amount of protection that that gives them, that just gives me so much confidence in a parent and a bit of urgency too, you know, like, gosh, I want to make sure that they're capable of saying no as early as possible just to yes. put those protections in place. Yeah. No, you're right. It does give you hope, though. I I love that. Um, I felt that way when I did read that in the book. And yes, then you feel like, okay, this is my responsibility and I need to address this and the sooner the better. Yeah, I echo that. Well, you're tackling some difficult topics. And another one that I thought was really great in in the book, which is also in the mind section, was this idea of simplicity. And to our home, but also to our life. And 
This is something that I preach quite a bit about, Jody, and it's about protecting our time with our children. And now both you and I are homeschoolers. So, um, and I know for me, one of the reasons why I chose to homeschool is because I wanted time with my kids, with my family. Um, mm-hmm. But in the today's society, we're so rushed and we're so, um, we feel so much pressure to sign up for everything, to be involved in all of this stuff. And I love how you address this in your book and was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit too. Yeah, I think, um, you know, currently, and and I can't say in the past that this wasn't an issue either. Um, it just feels like as an adult, I see how many more opportunities our children have than what I had when I was a kid. You know, I think when I was a kid, there was like soccer, gymnastics, and that's it, you know, um, now there's just like dance and cheer and soccer and um, hockey and just any activity and opportunity out there is available. And um, and parents tend to say yes because they want to fulfill those desires in their children. And um, while that may be kind of like that may temporarily make you feel good as a parent to support your child and all their different ideas and passions and different things like that. Um, oftentimes I don't think there's enough thought put into how does this affect our family? You know, you're, you're kind of following the lead of all of your children's interests, but you're not really looking at the big picture of, of how it affects the family. And so that's kind of where I, um, just feel it super important. And to be honest, this is probably my husband probably, um, kind of spearheaded this more so than I did at the beginning of our family. Um, He was very protective of family time. He grew up doing multiple um, club sports and sports before school, then school, then sports after school, and then club sports after school sports. (laughs) And he doesn't remember ever sitting at the table with his family. Um, And so he was very, very protective over what we chose to do with our kids and how much we allowed to happen um, within the family. And as a result of all of these discussions, which at times were probably too much for me, I just thought, can we just say yes, like everybody else? (laughs) He was like, no, (laughs) we need to walk through this. We need to see how it will affect us, you know, financially. Um, Yeah, it might be great for one of our kids, but we have four other children, you know, And Mm -hmm. is it fair to them to be spending, you know, two nights a week away and then all day Saturday just because this kid wants to be on a soccer team? And so we had to have a lot of those conversations. And some of it, I'll be honest, I was kind of kicking and screaming, um, but I knew that it was the right thing to do. I just, I tend to have a little more FOMO than he does. (laughs) So (laughs) knowing that like our friends were out there doing these things and that we had decided not to, that was originally hard for me. But then I saw all of these memories being made with our family of hiking and camping and doing these things together. We weren't sitting on the sidelines yelling for one kid. We were out doing things together as a family. Um, That became just so fruitful. We built so many memories. And we were very intentional about protecting our family time for several, several years. And I, now that they are in, I have high schoolers now and teens, um, we have started opening up the door to organize sports and different things like that in the past few years, 
just knowing developmentally that's something that would benefit them. And so we're back to the sidelines. <laughs> but even in doing that, we have learned to be very um, conditional about the the decisions that we make. So we said, you know what? Yes, we'll allow you to play soccer again. But rather than you playing soccer and you playing basketball and you playing um, volleyball or whatever, we are just going to throw everyone in soccer together <laughs> mm-hmm. and you will practice on the same nights and you they play on this at the same tournaments. And so again, we were able to be together as a family, even though they were all participating in a sport, it just was the same sport and we were doing it together as a family. So even making those decisions, there's a certain amount of protection that went into that to guard our dinner times together and our time spent together. Well, and I love this Jody Maccabee tip too. You mentioned that oftentimes after a game is over or a tournament is finalized, you guys as a family will, you know, get out the soccer ball and just play together as a family afterwards, which I thought was really cool. I had never thought of that, but I love that idea. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. I it's it's just that's probably one of my favorite things about it is we somehow we've always ended up in homes that are on hillsides. So we've never had, you know, like flat property to really play on. Um, so we take advantage of being on a field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll stay sometimes up to two hours after a practice together as a family. And the wonderful thing about that is it shows other families like, Hey, this field is available to you. Like add on some extra family time and other families will join us. Um, we've started family soccer days as a result of that. People just realizing, hey, I can play with my kid. It's it's kind of wild like that people have to kind of see that in order to have permission to do it. But for some reason, we've just noticed that, yeah, if you get out there and start playing, other people realize, oh, I can get out on that field too. So it's been super fun. That's that's, I hope it will be my kids. One of their memories is us playing with them out on the soccer field. I love that tip, though. It was something that never occurred to me either. And once you, once I read that in the book, I it was an aha moment for me. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can do that. We can do that. And again, my kids are younger, but we're already starting to feel the pull of, you know, having to be in this or having to be in that sport. And my husband was coaching my eldest son's baseball team. I was coaching the T-ball team. And even that alone, it was a short season, but you feel just pulled in opposite directions. And I see people living that life and everybody has to take their own journey. But I think it's really important for us to tune in and to decide, is this actually in line with the family culture that we're trying to create here? Um, Is this helping our relationships? How is it serving our family? Is it just us being busy? Or is this actually benefiting us in some way? So I just love that you address that because I I think that's something that's sort of plaguing our our family structure in our society. It is. And I think early youth sports are hurting us too. And um, my husband, again, was a huge proponent of just like, hey, it's not going to make a difference if our kids start at four or if they start at 10. Um, the reality is that a lot of those developmental things are developmental. It means it mm-hmm. grows with their age, with their ability to physically grow and become more coordinated. It's not necessarily because the sport 
um, you know, builds on itself from the ages of four to 10. Um, after 10 years old, you're, you start to get more technical with any kind of sport, but up until about the age of 10, it's really not going to make or break whether they're going to be collegiate athletes. (laughs) And so he was huge, just like, do not jump in with everybody else just because everybody else is out at the fields year round. You know, you've got, you've got, I'm trying to remember what the actual sports schedule is, but it's like soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter and baseball in the spring. And then there's, there's really no break in between. And a lot of times those sports overlap, which, so then you're going from, you know, soccer to basketball practice. And it's just like, it's too much for kids. It's, it's too much. They think they want it because all of their friends are there, but it, it's a lot for them. And and so they act out and they're, then they're not getting as much sleep or as much nutrition because you're having to go through drive-throughs um, just in order to make it all happen, you know? And so, um, yeah, the hope is just that that chapter would just kind of allow parents to say, no, I'm in charge. I, our, our kid, even though they want to do all these, it might not necessarily be the best thing for them. Um, how do we look at it through the lens of family versus just my kid wants to do this because his friends are doing it or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that you talked about how your family decided to go in a different direction and really get outside together, um, going on hikes and being in nature. And earlier you talked about how there's some common threads and there's overlap here. And I couldn't help but notice that nature was a common thread throughout your entire book here and that it helps not only, of course, with our mind, but our body and, of course, our spirit. And I just love that you use nature in that way in your family. And I just wanted to talk to you about that. You know, it was I know in your book, you said that you've always used um, nature. You've always ran to it when there was an issue. And I, I echo it, echo that. I'm the same way. I grew up on a farm and I remember just being outside and being alone and um, being free and not having to monitor myself in any way and just had these open places to just be who I was. Mm-hmm. And I think it allowed me to understand who I was and be confident in that at a very young age. And I wanted that for my kids too, because growing up on a farm, nature was just something that was very much a part of our lives. And our farm life, you know, was very much in tune to the rhythms of nature. Right. And there's so much value to that. So I just wanted to talk to you about that. Um, because I think we're missing that in our culture so much as kids are inside more or they are in organized sports or in all these activities and they're not just outside running around. And that's different than being outside in an organized sport. So I just wanted you to talk about how nature has played such a role in your family culture. Yeah, I think, um, you know, my two oldest boys specifically, it's just from a very young age, they preferred to be outside. And my first son, I remember being so frustrated because he would be just fussy, fussy, fussy. And the moment we would go outside, he was just happy as could be. And it was like, I have things to do inside, you know? Um, but (laughs) it's like, it, it showed me how innate it is in us to want to be outside. And like you said, I mean, growing up on a farm, you can't get much more, rhythmic and one with, with just the rhythms of nature and everything there. 
And I think our, we're drawn to that. We were created to do that. We were created to, to rise with the sun and, and go to bed when it's dark. And that's just the way that our body's rhythms are in tune with nature in itself. Um, and so, yeah, I just noticed with, with them, if they were outside, they slept, they took better naps, they slept better at night. Um, they were more physical, they were more active, they were pushing themselves in ways that I didn't think that kids had the ability to do. Um, just watching them climb trees barefoot and, and doing all these things outside, it was so fulfilling to watch them just grow and, um, and embrace this outdoor world. It, it was kind of actually mind blowing to me. They taught me a lot about mm-hmm. just appreciating being outside. And so, and of course, when I was a girl, I mean, I was a part of the generation where the moms locked the doors, you know, and you just weren't allowed inside <laughs> until dinner time. <laughs> yeah. so yep. We didn't have a ton of organized sports. We were locked outside and we played outside and we didn't have, you know, playhouses or swing sets or trampolines or anything like that. We had trees and we had creeks and we just played with nature that we didn't need any kind of instruments or tools or toys or anything like that. And so I think coming from that background and understanding the um, the benefits of nature alone and then watching it in my first two, just watch them revel in the the beauty of nature and the excitement of nature, it automatically just became another kind of foundational ideal in our household to really focus on. And um, the more we spent time outside in nature, the more that passion grew to where we just wanted more and more. We wanted to see places that we hadn't been to before. We wanted to explore places that um, nobody knew about. It just became this really special um, quest for all of us. Um, I can't help but think like nature probably is a better alternate to video games or watching TV or just like um, chilling and scrolling on a phone for a few hours just to kind of not have to think about work, you know? And so I kept seeing my boys and and picturing them as men and thinking the more I can write this on their hearts, the more time we spend out here, the more inclined they'll be to run to nature when they're stressed or when they need to decompress. So I have been able to see that in my teens. Um, It has been so beautiful to see them just now my oldest has a cell phone and um, I'll get texts of him between classes. He'll go and find a hike and he'll text me pictures of some trail he found or something like that. And I just, I'm blown away that um, it worked. <laughs> that that yeah. writing on the heart in, as young children, it's, it's turning into something, a place for them to go as young adults. And I can't wait to see them do the same thing as, you know, young fathers and old fathers and, you know, all the way through. So it's so important, and we've really lost sight of that too. Um, I just did a podcast recently about last child in the woods, and mm. just all of the. Um, are you familiar with that book, Jody? Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but yeah. I keep seeing the title, and it looks really great. Oh, it's amazing, and it's it gives all the scientific um, evidence that shows how. We children are less and less outside and 
less and less um, in open spaces. So, you know, going to a playground is great, but it's different than being Creekside in a forest, right? And right. it talks about how we're seeing, you know, not only the the physical decline um, of our younger generations, which you mention in your book too, um, which is of course related to diet, but also related to nature and just being outside. Mm-hmm. And then also the mental health decline. And I wanted to read this because this was a moment, I, I actually read this aloud to my husband after reading this in your book. And I think this is so important. Um, so this is in the whole bodies under the fitness section. And I just love this. So I have to read it. It says, we are living in an era where the adrenaline rush that children so innately need and desire is achieved not through daring bike jumps and fort building, tree climbing and adventure seeking, but through violent video games and the latest must have apps. And I read that and I just thought, oh my goodness, that's so true because we need to have risks. Children need to be able to seek Mm -hmm. out risks. And I don't know of a better way to do that than just by going out in nature. Right. Right. And they test themselves, you know, um, uh, my, my oldest was super cautious as a toddler. I remember he would always just, you know, be very careful jumping off rocks and different things like that. But the more he was outside, the more daring he got. And he's probably now my most daring child. And so I even see just that build on itself, you know, the the adrenaline, I think when he experienced success, when he would take risk, um, take a risk, he would experience the success of that. And that was addicting. And that addiction is so much healthier than the addiction of passing a level in a video game. But the sad part is these these game developers have learned how to create that adrenaline through mm-hmm. their programming. And so they're and and they're well aware of this. They know how unhealthy it is. You know, this is the sad part for me is is they understand the um the lack of health, the level of addiction that it creates and they actually scientifically are trying to create it so that it's more addictive um, because, you know, it's consumer based and we're a capitalist country and they want to make money. Um, so yeah, just to see that it can be th- that there's an actual organic place to go <laughs> to get that adrenaline. And it's just outside <laughs> a very simple um, resolve to this problem is lock your kid outside. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I think yes. our parents had it right all along. <laughs> well, and I, you talk about this in the book too. Um, you lost your dad to cancer and um, I lost my dad to cancer as well. Mm. And as an adult, something that really grounds me and makes me feel you know, connected to him again or connected to the universe is just being outside. And so when we have these things that happen to us in our lives, even as adults that are troublesome, that are hard, like losing a parent or any of the many things that so many of us are going through, nature is really a salve to be used Mm -hmm. to help us get through that. And I know you said that you use nature um, in that way as an adult. Absolutely. And I think I included in the book, um, a little story about how the Japanese, this is probably, I think back in the eighties or nineties, but the Japanese government at the time created this obligatory forest bathing hour during the day. 
um, where they required their citizens to go out into nature. And it was part of, I believe it was part of a campaign that was an anti-suicide campaign. They were trying to figure out how do we, um, how do we lift the level of mental health in our nation? Um, so I, I wouldn't advocate like the government creating laws to get you outside. You know, that's not a, that's not a great, um, start, but the idea behind it, the fact that they got creative and said, okay, maybe, maybe mental health is linked to lack of, you know, poor mental health might be linked to lack of being outdoors. And they started implementing the system and the suicide rates went down. So it's pretty obvious that there's a correlation there to mental health and being outside in nature. So it seems like that's all the information that we need, right? <laughs> it's like for grief. Yeah. <laughs> or you can you can go through counseling and you could read the grief books. That's not going to take away your grief. Um, neither is necessarily being out in nature, but it's going to help you process all of that. It's it's going to be a safe place for you to release, you know, the sadness and the heaviness that comes along with grief. Um, probably much healthier than something that creates false um, joy, like you know, medications or something like that. This is something that is a natural way to get you to release the pain. So yeah, that's, I just think nature just can give in so many different ways. Oh, it can. It is. And it's such a wonderful teacher and you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just bring your kids out in it. Or like you said, put them outside and lock the door and let them figure it out. It is the best teacher. And I've always wanted my kids to have that connection too. And I love how in your book, you say that we have to model that. Our children are not going to be connected to nature. They're not going to take that on by themselves. They might, but it's not likely if we're not modeling that for them. So setting that intention is really important. And there's just so much to be gained from being out in nature. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and also in your body section, um, you talk about food. And I mean, this is a whole rabbit hole, right? <laughs> I think food is what got me down this path of kind of questioning the status quo and what has, you know, just put me on this path of homeschooling and questioning everything. So I know it's a rabbit hole, but I, I want to touch on it briefly because you and I have similar stories here in that food has played such a huge role in one of our children's lives. So my son mm. um, was diagnosed with epilepsy and was having seizures, like 30 of them a day. Um, oh, wow. And we, yeah. And he was, oh, it was crazy. I was pregnant at the time. It was, um, and you're just helpless, right? And I ended up doing research and discovered that you can use diet to, help with this. And today he's over two and a half years seizure free. And we he was never on any medicine. All that we did was change his diet and get rid of a few things. Um, and I know you have a similar situation with um, a child of yours and that you started researching food and how that plays a role um, with our mind. There's such a huge gut to brain connection. And mm -hmm. It's important that we don't just sidestep food in this family culture that we are creating as well. So I just wanted you to speak on that for a little bit too, because there are so many 
moms just like you and me who have similar stories of how food plays such an impact in their child's well-being and their own, of course. But it's very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I felt like almost shocked when we discovered that originally um, that food could you know, alter his behavior so much. I, it was almost just like, what? But now after several years of having implemented a special diet and, and detoxing him and, um, experiencing the benefits of, of all of that, realizing, well, of course. And I mean, I guess that's why the book is about the whole family is because, um, the body is such a big part of that. And I think that, um, we're not taught that as parents, we have to seek that information out on our own. You know, we're not given a book when our baby is born in the hospital that says, this is what you need to feed your child. And this is how you nurture them. And this is how much sleep they need. We're not really given any of that. We have to kind of seek that out on our own. But when there's an out of the box situation, like with your child or with my child, um, and you're seeking out information in every which direction, and somehow you come across food and you're just desperate at that point. Um, we tried it and it was immediate. It was just um, so evident that that's what he needed. He needed gluten out of his diet. Um, and then we, you know, went down the rabbit hole and found out there were other foods that probably needed to be um, eliminated as well. And his behavior just got better and better and this is after months of trying different discipline techniques and parenting techniques and everything failed. And then just by eliminating gluten and dairy and peanuts, all of a sudden we had our boy back. It was wow. crazy. I'm sure you experienced something very similar. It sounds like um, to be able to see that change is so hopeful in one end because it shows you that that food is medicine, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that's very hope filled to know that you don't have to um, go through any crazy like medical interventions or anything like that, that you could actually just rely on, on food to be medicine. Um, so that was super hopeful. But then also just like, gosh, why didn't I think of that to begin with? <laughs> so, oh, sure. Kind of yep. Yeah, that's the hope in this book. And I knew it would be a little bit controversial for some people who maybe haven't had issues like that or don't see a need for it. Um, but because of our personal experience and because of the fruit that we've seen from making those decisions and changing things in our family and, and having a lot of gut healthy food available, um, I just want to be able to share and encourage parents that that, may, that might be something that you want to look into. Yes, I echo that. I think it's so important to get those experiences out there. I've shared, you know, my son's success with the diet with just about anybody that will listen if they, you know, if they're going through something similar. Because as you said, we're not, you know, not only do we not get a manual with our children, but oftentimes the information that we are given um is very one-sided. And a lot of times it mm -hmm. is about medicine. And I'm not a doctor and I'm not here to say, I believe in modern medicine. I do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very thankful for it. But I also think that it's so important that we become our children's advocates. And mm -hmm. thankfully, we live in a technology age where 
I'm sure you can relate, Jody, where you stay up at night and you're on Google or you're on yeah. PubMed and you're researching this and diving into everything that you can possibly find about it. Um, and I mean, we had to fight for our kid to take this route. It was, you know, we mm-hmm. they wanted us to our child to be on medicine first. They said, well, mm-hmm. we have to you have to fail two meds. And I said, no. Here's the research showing that this is more effective. Why would I do that when there's all those side effects? Let's try this route. And thankfully, he's done beautifully with it. And not everybody has that experience. And I mm-hmm. um, I feel that. Um, however, I think it's worth noting that food can play such a huge role in our children's lives. And you know, your yours and my experiences are different with our children. But the fact is that food was what took them to this better health. Yeah. And there's something so powerful in that. And we have to, if we're looking at a family culture, food, the food that we eat is really important. And don't get me wrong. If you put a, you know, a pan of cheesecake in front of me, I'm going to eat it. You're right. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but, but there's, there's a moderation there that um, is, and it's just important to educate our children on fueling their body, you know, and, um, and what, what helps them grow, what helps them think, what helps them function better. They're not always going to make those wise decisions. I have one boy that keeps cash in his pocket at all times. Anytime we go to town, um, if we are near a gas station, he will buy Skittles with his own money. <laughs> so that, that does happen, you know, but we can control what we, what we feed our children within our home and we can try to give them the most nourishing meals. And I love, I was on a podcast the other day um, with Dr. Ben. He has a podcast called Design to Heal. It's a really great podcast. If any of your listeners are interested in health and wellness, it's, um, a, a medically researched, scientific research podcast, um, but it's a more holistic approach and um, they talk about everything on there. So anyways, he he was telling me that he calls his mom's, you know, so he called me Dr. Jody, And I just kind of was like, what? You can't, you can't do that. And he goes, no, I call all moms, you know, doctors because Aww. they are the ones that know their children they they observe their children every minute of the day. You can tell when your kid has a fever before you touch their forehead, you know. Certain like one of my kids, his eye droops down a little bit when he has a fever. I know the moment he walks in the door if he has a fever. <laughs> and so oh, it's I like love we, that. we yeah. Know, and to be called yeah, doctor. Not that I love that your child's eye droops. I love that, you know, there's that recognition of the fact that, yeah, we we do matter and we have these insights and they're not something to be, you know, pushed aside. Yes. Right. That's but so true. You, it is just listening to the limited amount of, that I know on your story with your son. I mean, you are Dr. Nicolette. Like the fact that you advocated for him in that way, that you followed your gut instinct in that way. Um, I don't think parents are as empowered as they should be um, from a medical perspective. You know, they forget that we ultimately are the authority over our children's health and wellness. um, And we know them more than anybody does. And so we also have the responsibility to understand health and wellness so that we can practice as their doctor. And I'm not talking Western medicine doctor, you know, like if you, if you know that they need to go in for something 
they need to go in for something. But just on the daily, and and if you read the health chapters, then you know that we we go to um, natural remedies first um, mm-hmm. before ever considering you know walking into an ER or an urgent care or anything like that because for the most part those are going to work and and the intervention is not needed. So um, yeah, so I loved that he he calls his mama's doctors because it's true. We're, we're putting in a lot of time into research and time just observing our children. We should have the confidence that goes along with that. No, you're absolutely right. I love that so much. And I, yeah, I feel that because I remember, you know, having to, and again, my child was diagnosed and through, you know, modern medicine, and I'm so thankful for that. But I learned the most about his condition and his specific type of epilepsy the most from other moms who I was connected with, whether they were, you know, Facebook support groups. I actually was lucky enough to have two moms that were semi-local that I would meet up with in coffee shop to discuss things. And they had already been through that, you know, through this, their children were older than mine. And I learned so much more from them than I ever did in a conversation with a doctor. And again, I'm not trying to take away from doctors. I'm trying to empower moms, like you said, to recognize their the influence that they have and the knowledge that they have. Nobody knows your child like you do. Yeah. And I think nobody is going to research um, epilepsy as much as you are because it means something because you have skin in the game, you know? And that's Mm -hmm. where it's like, um, I don't know, it's, of course, a doctor that specializes in epilepsy will have a lot of information about that. But I even think about, so my twins were um, both in the same sack. And I, the the place where I lived at the time, they would not allow VBACs. My midwife wouldn't allow me to deliver them um, with her. So I had to have a C-section with them. And I just remember, you know, just really grieving over that and trying to figure out, is there a, is there a way that I can do this C-section is like natural as possible, which is, you know, ironic saying that about a C-section, but I had researched this, um, this way that they were doing C-sections in Australia and it's called the natural C-section. And the way that they deliver the baby is they pump the baby's lungs as if they're going through the vaginal canal. Um, They pump the baby's lungs as they're pulling the baby out of, you know, the uterus and um, like they would through the vaginal canal. And then they also allow the sheet to be down so the mom can see the baby, you know, quote unquote, born. And they bring the baby straight to the mom's chest. So the normal hospital protocol is to, um, you know, the sheets up, mom doesn't see baby, but for a split second after they pull baby out, they kind of show mom and then they go and wipe it down with the towels and clean it all up. And then they bring baby to mom. But in this kind of process, they eliminate that step and they, they pump the lungs and then they pull baby straight up to mom's chest. The umbilical cord is still attached. Um, the baby can breastfeed right there on the OR table. It's Oh just, my gosh. It's, it's the coolest thing. And so um, my doctor was actually open to doing it, to changing the whole policy in the hospital to do it for me. But 
I had to provide all of the scientific and medical um, information so that he could be confident that um, everyone would be safe, you know, in the process. And so I was able to just pull out um, all this information and print out different hospital protocols in Australia. And, and I had this whole folder for him. And um, he said, okay, the next step is to um, find nurses that would be willing to show up when you were, you know, in labor or whenever we decide to schedule this because the nurses need to be on board too. So he allowed me to kind of take over and build this team, you know, um, to make you are this Dr. Jody C-section happen. But <laughs> I haven't even talked about this in years. It's so funny that it's coming up, but just your story reminds me so much of like, we can't, we are in control of our ch own children. <laughs> like, yes, I, I know doctors have a lot of knowledge and there's, and I respect them greatly for that. But like, we are our child's best advocate. We have so much information because we have vested interest in our own child, you know, and um, you got to find the right doctor too, that's willing to work with you on what you believe. And like you said, yours did. So that's, that's awesome that they finally kind of went on board with what you had planned. And just like my doctor was on board with this whole new process, <laughs> it was wonderful. I was so grateful that we were able to do it. And it really changed. Um, I, I had had C-sections before with my boys. They were breech. And the difference between those C-sections and this, you know, quote unquote, natural C-section was just night and day. It was so wonderful. That is beautiful. I've never heard of that before, Jody, but that is so cool. And I love that. Yes, you can just get a glimpse of, you know, a piece of information like that and begin digging into it. And you know, don't don't you just wonder sometimes what what would it have been like 20 years ago or something? You wouldn't have been able to do that. Probably right. not. And so right. it's nice to have this information, but you have to be willing to use it and be your advocate and your children's advocate. And that can be difficult and intimidating sometimes. It can. Um, um, just try to advocate as much as you can on it. But it gave me so much encouragement with the Western, you know, medical world too, because oftentimes I, I lose hope a little bit and just like, hold on a second. I feel like I'm reading entirely different information than what you're telling me. <laughs> so it, it makes me sometimes question and lose hope or um, faith in Western medicine. But situations like that, I'm just so grateful that there are doctors out there that are open to um, growing their knowledge, you know, past what they were taught in medical school or, um, you know, currently what they're practicing. Yes. And being open and being open to learning new things. I completely agree with you. And in certain places, I see the pendulum swinging more and more in that direction. And, you know, there is the other side of it where, you know, there's more protocols, there's more um, procedural aspects to, you know, hospitalizations and things like that. And I get why those are in place. But I think if we can just remember that at the end of the day, you know, you're in charge and right. it's okay to question things as long as you've done your your research. And not all research is the same, right? There's good research and then there's right. crap research. So you have to do very good research. But with all the information out there, 
it's it's wonderful to be able to be to be armed with that. Yep. When Ab- you're in a situation. Absolutely. And the more you learn and the more you know, the more confident you'll be to advocate. And, you know, it like you said, it takes a lot. I mean, I have big giant folders of medical studies that I have kept, you know, these big binders that are, I don't know, 20 pounds each or something like that. But it's important to um, continue to learn and continue to grow in knowledge if we're going to, you know, be our child's doctor. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, I'm going to start referring to myself as Dr. Nicolette, though. As you should. As As we all should, right? (laughs) You know, Jody, the last um, section of your book, as you know, of course, is about the spirit. And I wanted to spend some time talking about this and. You know, as my my kids are younger, and if I want to be completely open and honest here, I think this is part where I'm lacking in motherhood, is this part, the spiritual side. And I've had like different religious, you know, um, you know, I was born, um, and raised. I was baptized and confirmed in a um, Lutheran household, and just over the course of the course of you know different things, um, I started to question things. And now that I have these little people that I want to have this big connection to the spiritual side, um, it's a place where I feel just that I'm lacking. And your book, that that part, um, it challenged me. And I'm thankful that it did because it's definitely something that I need to look at because I do firmly believe that there is this holistic approach. And uh, I believe we're spiritual beings and you know, there's this higher power and we're all connected in this way. Um, but I'm really inspired by how it shaped your family and how you are this beacon of light and this, that your your children can come to you for this guidance in this way. And I just wanted you to speak about that because I think that's somewhere where I personally need to work on. So I'm taking my time that I have with you to pick your brain on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's a hard one because the ultimate power that, you know, um, we believe in is God and, and Jesus and the Holy spirit is one. Um, and the Bible is just our leading ground on that, that, um, Jason and I fail constantly and all the time. Um, and so we always have to go back to the Bible (laughs) for like guidance of, Oh, dang it. I messed up again, you know? (laughs) Um, but I think with starting with little ones with kind of what you're asking is like, how do you bring in that reverence or how do you bring in that awareness of, um, the fact that we're spiritual beings and that there is a higher power and, um, how do we, pursue that as a family. I just think, I think I mentioned it in the book, but the, the Eggermeyer Bible storybook, um, it's perfect for the ages that you have right now. Um, we actually still read it together as a family. And my oldest is 16. It's a great start to be reading these Bible stories with our kids and just teaching them about the nature of God, his, his loving nature, his faithfulness, his desire to, um, love you and, and care for you and provide for you. And so being able to hold on to that, um, that faith starting from childhood, I think helps you get through the hardest of times. And, um, 
I can't imagine having gone through a lot of the things that we have gone through as a family um, without knowing that God is there and loving and and for us. So um, giving them that kind of foundation through Bible stories and understanding who God is and then memorizing scripture together. And um, I have a little homeschool shop on my website and we actually sell some of our memory verses to song because these verses have, we originally started memorizing them for school, just kind of like, you know, we believe in God, we believe in scripture. I want them to know scripture. Um, But I didn't realize what a tool they would be used for with parenting. And even just for myself to encourage myself, there was a time um, where I was diagnosed with melanoma and there was like a six week window between being diagnosed and not really knowing how um, like what stage the cancer was in, um, oh that I really like relied on these verses of hope that the children and I, I think we memorized like three or four different verses on hope. And that was the only thing that would um, just keep me going, that would give me just this positive outlook and and allow me to still flourish as a mom and a wife and take care of my kids in my home without getting into the doldrums and thinking about, you know, what could potentially happen. All I was thinking about was hope and it just changed my mindset and my ability to function in those six weeks. And it was because of the memorization of those scriptures that were in song, because that's kind of how we memorize them. And I would just sing those verses in my mind all day long. Um, So that's kind of where if I were you, I don't know if you're necessarily asking like where to start, but um, if if families are looking for a place to start practicing, you know, growth, spiritual growth in their family, that's kind of where I would encourage you is maybe try to memorize a verse a month or something to start with and see what that does in your household. Um, and then at, I could almost guarantee you your your faith will grow as a result and you'll want to dive more into the Bible and you'll want to unravel more of what God has for you in the Bible um, and relationally with him. I I love how in the book you talk about how there's these certain verses that you can, you know, say to your children or they'll say to each other or they'll say to themselves in a moment. And it's very powerful in the way that it recenters them. I don't have that right now. You know, I don't have something that I can just say, and it's in this beautiful way, and it's so powerful, and it just brings them right back to the current moment or the the task at hand or the it addresses the challenge, it, and it gives them that hope, that hope that you were just talking about. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Yeah, and I'll be honest, Nicolette, like it still blows me away. I mean, we've been speaking those proclamations over our kids for over 10 years now, and it still blows me away that um, when I pull a child aside and just tell them you are a blessing wherever you go, you are not a burden, or you are bold and you speak the truth, or you are a mighty man of valor and the Lord is with you, they just like soak it in still 10 years later. Oh. They know all of these by heart, yet it just goes directly to their heart and it, it empowers and encourages them right in that moment. I can still speak the same thing over them that I have done for 10 years. And it's equally as encouraging to them today as it was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, that's beautiful. It was really 
Um, again, as I said, it was a little, it was challenging for me. I'm like, ooh, I need to step it up here, and it's important. Um, so I appreciate you kind of opening your heart and and showing how it's been fruitful for your family. Um, again, it's not always an easy topic, and it's so personal that it can just be difficult to talk about those things. But I appreciate even our you know our little conversation about it here. Thank you. Are there areas, especially as we've been talking about the spiritual side, and I'm you know reflecting on my own um, where I need to grow, where maybe I've grown the most, but within your book, are there areas for you that you've seen the most growth or areas where maybe you struggle with that you need to be super aware of just on a personal level? Oh, goodness. That's a really good question. I mean, all the time, yes. <laughs> There, I mean, I think, you know, there's definitely things in our marriage that I will just always struggle with. Um, and one of those is just, and I talk about it in the book, um, my husband, he is motivated by peace and I am motivated by getting things done. And I don't think you can get much more opposite than that. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. I felt so seen um, when I read that part. I know exactly what part you're talking about. <laughs> I read that to my husband. I'm like, this is us. This is us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just like, it's been such a, I mean, we've been married for 18 years and it doesn't get any easier in the reality of like, I need to respect his need for peace on that and um, not see it as weakness, not see it as laziness because he is not weak or lazy. Um, but my kind of like fleshy, sinful side always wants to, you know, judge or um, I don't know, get on him, like nag him or something <laughs> just because I like to always be doing, doing, doing. But um, that's not that's just how I operate and that's how he operates. And so a lot of times that can mess with more than just our marriage, sometimes it can mess with our family. And a small example of that is just um, kind of my need for change. I love mixing things up. I love changing things all of the time. Um, I love house projects. And then as soon as we get done with the house, it's kind of like, oh, we should sell it so we can start another <laughs> house project. And um, my husband is like so gracious about just kind of questioning the motivation behind a lot of those. Is it just because you need change or, you know, working through all those things, it's constant. There's never really a time where it's like everything is flowing and easy and um, in harmony at all times. You know, there's always a, either a character issue with one of the kids or um, a character issue with myself. But I would say currently, that is what I am kind of trying to work through is just um, trying to build space for to give my husband peace and um, not always feeling like I need to have a project or things going. Um, you know, as my book launch kind of dies down, I'm, I can feel like my inner <laughs> self mm -hmm. um, ready for another project. And so it's kind of like having to recognize and understand, okay, that is my need for change. That doesn't necessarily mean that I need my family to go through this. <laughs> with sure. Me. 
And so that is always my, my husband calls it, um, when we're talking with other people, he's always like, have you ever tried to, um, rain a whole or a stallion in, have you ever tried to put reins on? (laughs) And so that's kind of his joke and that the, it's the truth. And that doesn't mean that the stallion is the better, um, part in this situation. It's actually the worst part (laughs) because it's, (laughs) so Yeah. So just kind of working through that, that I would say is always at the forefront of just recognizing my um, internal need for change and how that can affect the family as a whole. Um, And to make sure that if there is change that's happening, that it's not just because I need change to happen. It's for the better of the family in one way or another, you know? Um, So truly just analyzing like decisions that I make, if, that it to make sure that it's for the best of the family and not just because I'm ready for something new. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but that's kind of um, something that I'm perpetually aware of and working on. Okay, fair. I I feel that. Yeah, when I read that part in the book when you were talking about it was like on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. Yes. Yeah, how your husband just wanted to rest and you're like, um, I don't think so. There's all these projects that we need to do. I was like, oh, I relate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, back to work. Exactly. (laughs) No, I relate. I totally do. So thank you for burying your soul in this book. Um, I love that you're so honest and you talk about those struggles that you have in the book. In talking with you, Um, And certainly it comes through in the book too, but even in our conversation just now, you mentioned hope and how that has played such a huge role in your life. Um, Hope for your children and their futures, hope for um, their connection to nature, their connection to their, you know, their spirituality, their connection to God, um, the connection that they're making while you and your husband are being these examples of marriage and all of these things. Um, What is your hope for the person that reads your book? I mean, my hope through this book is that we can start creating or, or raising, I should say, not necessarily creating, but just raising a new generation, um, where we're making intentional decisions with our children that equip them to handle things that we haven't handled the greatest in our own generation. And so, you know, we see things progress in um, technology or even you just think about dentistry, how how much it's progressed, you know, oh, in a hundred yeah. years. And I think our our children can progress in the same way. If, if we are able to kind of tackle, um, you know, food is just a perfect example of, um, I think that it's progressed in the wrong way that, that now, um, people have figured out how to make more of it for less and by using fillers and all kinds of other preservatives and, um, different things that may actually affect our children's health. So, but now we have that information. So then we're able to kind of change that and pivot from it and um, develop stronger foundations physically for our children. And my hope is that um, hopefully through this book that parents are able to realize like, hey, I can change um, the way my kid views sex. I can, And by changing, you know, say you have a family with three kids like your own, 
you're change you're changing a part of that generation. You have three children who now have a very healthy view on sex, um, who who may not be affected by pornography as as badly as they would have been if you wouldn't have equipped them, who may have protected themselves against any kind of, you know, um, sexual abuse in any way or something like that. There's so much hope if we can learn about these things and implement them in our families so that we are equipping our children to become healthier and more whole adults. And so, um, yeah, to, to give you hope as you read this book, I just, I honestly hope that there's a few things that really just like, um, convict or stir your heart to really want to, um, make this next generation stronger, um, healthier, wiser, um, more in tune with the Lord and, and, and who God made them to be. Um, there's, there's so much more I know that I could be doing in my own family, but it, it just is one step at a time, right. For all of us. And so that's just the hope is that someone would pick it up and, and just implement one or two things that may make their family healthier. And that will in turn create a healthier generation. Oh, that's beautiful, Jody. I think this book is so perfect for, for so many families and to create that family culture from this holistic view. I, I think the pendulum is swinging in that direction. And a book like this only encourages that and pushes it in that direction even more. Um, it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. And I hope everybody reads it. Anybody raising a family needs to read your book. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Nicolette. That that really means a lot. But ultimately, I would just love it to get in the hands of so many moms that are, you know, kind of um, spearheading the culture in their family and that it would just encourage them to take one or two little steps towards a healthier family. So thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, no, thank you for writing it. And before before I let you go, Jody, I have to ask you if there's any last um, advice, encouragement that you'd like to give, um, you know, a mom that's listening to this. And then also, could you share any um, upcoming projects that you might have or how people can find you? Sure. Um, I, I mean, my last advice would just be like, hopefully all this information is not overwhelming to you. Um, my hope even within the book is not that these, you know, some of our stances can be kind of extreme and that it wouldn't be overwhelming or too much, but just that you could, you know, that you can alter these to fit your family and your comfort level. And, and every family is so different and just <clears throat> really draw near to what you feel your family culture ought to be or or what you wish for it to be. Um, it doesn't have to look like Nicolette's family or my family. <clears throat> and that would just be my encouragement. Um, in where to find me, you can find me on jodymockaby.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Jody Mockaby. Um, I I sell, you know, some curriculum resources if you're into homeschooling and a lot of those resources were created to really simplify our homeschool environment and to um, have just this like beautiful, holistic form of learning. So it goes alongside of the book. And so those are all available on jodymockaby.com. But yeah, that's where you, and the, you can find the book pretty much anywhere where books are sold. So, Okay. And one last question for you, I promise. 
Is there okay. a book that you would recommend to somebody outside of your own book? What What is Jody Maccabee reading right now? Or what's a book that you um, that was really fruitful for you in the motherhood trenches? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Because first of all, I, I feel like I gave a lot of my main resources in my book um, pertaining to certain, you know, mind, body, spirit type um in, in those sections. So I don't know if there's just one specific, um, parenting book. I'm trying to, you you put me on the spot here. So I'm trying to think there's a lot of literature that actually has impacted me more from a parenting perspective than actual parenting books. <laughs> um, Ooh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I even mentioned them, having a bunch of boys, um, reading Swiss family Robinson to my boys, that was like super, super impactful for me. Um, he had written it, the author had written it from a perspective of wanting to create an adventure story for his boys. He had, I believe four boys as well. And, um, his heart was to create this adventure story with these boys in it that had the character traits and the, in the, um, just that like high moral character in, in them that he wanted his sons to be. And so it was just so powerful reading it and, and kind of sharing the same vision that it, he had such a holistic perspective for his sons as well. It wasn't just, you know, that they were well-learned. It was that they, um, they were well-learned, but they were adventurous. They were physical, they were strong, they were healthy. Um, It was just, knowing that he had written it for his boys to aspire to, it was just, it kind of really um, encouraged me as a mom. So for a mom of boys, Swiss Family Robinson is fantastic. Um, And I think- Okay, I need to read that one. I haven't yet. Okay, yeah. Oh, the yeah. The is another one. And it's the father that's actually just- um, such a gentle soul. And I say this in the, the book. And so everybody knows that I'm not hiding it, but like, I am not a slow to speak, gentle, quiet spirited person. And so anytime I read a, a story or a book with my children, where there's a character in there, that's just so, um, nurturing, it always is a little bit convicting and and encouraging for me at the same time of of just kind of this like inspirational character. So I love that one too, but there are so many, I guess that have, um, we, we recently read one, um, your, your kids are too young for it, but it was called, oh gosh, it's, it is, I'm trying to remember the name. Darlene Diebler was the missionary. She was a missionary over, um, near the Philippines and um, I'm blanking on the title of the book, but it's her recount of um, living there during World War II and her faith. This goes back to like um, memorizing scripture. Her, that's what got her through all these prisons. And, you know, she was a prisoner of war. And so um, wow. her memorization of scripture is really what got her through all of that and just allowed her to serve the people in the camp and just keep this like humble and beautiful heart towards everybody in the most like dire experiences. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the the book, <laughs> but Darlene Diebler is her name. Well, can I, so, I just, 
Well, I just love that you're using books, you know, literature instead of, you know, how-to books or advice books or things of that nature because you're so right. Literature, the stories, the characters can be so encouraging and so centering. So I love that. I think you're my first guest that's ever chosen that type of a book, and I absolutely love that. That's beautiful. Well, I'm glad. I think it's like... I can't pick just one book and maybe that's why I wrote one actually is because I I like to just pull like a tiny bit from each one. Not one has ever just fully encompassed like my own, you know, belief system or family culture. And so that's what I love about literature too, is you can learn from different characters and try to model those within your own home. I remembered it now. It's evidence not seen. So that's the that's the book there. And if you have kids, I would say over the age of 10, that is a phenomenal read. My kids love biographies because of course all stories are fun, but when it, when they know that it's a true story, um, there's just, it's so much more powerful, you know, it's really impactful. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that one it lands. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I have never even heard of that book before. Um, Thank yeah, you, Jody. A, Those are great. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, we can talk books all day. Maybe that should be a separate <laughs> podcast. I know, right? Yeah, we need to dig into the homeschooling more. You've been, you know, you've been somebody I've been following for years, and your interior design as you're talking about like your projects. You know that oh, you're yes. that you're always busy doing projects. I can tell you that the last two homes I think that you've lived in, your kitchens, I've just like taken screenshots and like Vin that's my husband's name I'm like this is what I want this is what I want <laughs> so you have yes, a long time those, fan those in are me, very fun. Uh, that's that's wonderful well thank you so much and yeah who knows if there will be another I keep telling myself never again never again and then you know the itch starts happening <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see I'll I'll just have to never say never I guess that's right. That's the safer way to go, right? Well, I want to thank you for your time, Jody. Um, I want everyone to please go and get a copy of The Whole and Healthy Family by Jody Maccabee. It is an absolute gem. And Jody, you're a gem. Thank you so much for taking the time to write this book. This book. It served my family so well already, and I know it's going to serve other people well. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks so much for having me on here, Nicolette. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, I would love it if you would give a review and of course, subscribe. This not only encourages me, but it helps other mamas find me. And remember, we're in this together. Take care.